Welcome to Brit David Podcast as we continue our walk through the books of the Bible with a message this week from Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 2, entitled, Friends in Need Need Friends Indeed. Michael W. Smith saying that friends are friends forever if the Lord's the Lord of them. That means in good times and in bad. That means even when my friend makes bad choices. That means even when my friend has stopped walking in fellowship with God. I need to be the faithful friend who helps my fallen friend the way Jesus helps me. Here's Pastor Tim. That's good. Thank you. Saying a lot tonight about friends, and the Bible has a lot to say about friends. Friendship's an important part of our life. Having someone that you can count on, someone that you can bond with, somebody that you can share experiences in life right alongside. But the Bible says, it says, the righteous choose their friends wisely. And that's important, isn't it? To choose our friends carefully. We want to make sure that we are the kinds of friends and that we have the kinds of friends that Proverbs talks about. Proverbs talks about friends who love one another no matter what. It talks about friends who make one another happy. It talks about friends who are forgiving towards one another. Friends who make each other better simply by their presence and friends who are loyal to one another makes me think of some of the great examples that you find in Scripture, like David and Jonathan. I've thought about them an awful lot. The Bible says that God knit their hearts together. It's an important element, is it, in the life of a friend? I think about the Old Testament three amigos, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, friends that seem to be inseparable there in the book of Daniel. And then, of course, you've got the New Testament Three amigos, Paul and Priscilla and Aquila, all working together on mission. Also, though, think about the four friends who gather together around their one friend who is ill and try to get that friend to Jesus. And instead of of just stopping because they can't get through the crowd, they do everything possible, even going up on top of the roof and tearing a hole in the roof hope that guy had homeowner's insurance. (laughs) Tearing a hole in the roof and letting that guy down so that he simply could be healed. You know, isn't it interesting, or ironic maybe, that the only friends really that you read about in the Bible who didn't let their friend down were the friends who let their friend down. (laughs) You know, that's, that's the kind of person that we want around us. When we find ourselves in need, we need those friends indeed. We need friends that will stick to us. We need friends that will stick by us. But we also need friends that will help us to be better. You know, friends just simply don't let one another down. When a friend is in need, he has this friend there to help him. And that's what Ecclesiastes says, isn't it? How much better it is for somebody to have somebody else in their life. And it says, woe to that person who falls when he is alone. Because he may not be able to get up. In fact, in the New Testament tonight, we come to the book of Galatians, and we find ourselves dealing with the subject of friendship in chapter number 6. Now to me, it's one of those times where 
Um, I, I really wish that the chapter break wasn't there. You know, because I'm tempted as I read through the Scriptures to read a chapter simply at a time and stop when the chapter stops and start when the chapter starts. But in doing that, sometimes I miss that there is a connection between the chapters and there is a great connection between chapters 5 and chapter 6. Paul had been talking to them in chapter 5 about what it means to walk in the Spirit. For a person who is spiritual to walk in the Spirit and to bear the fruit of the Spirit, that you might see that God is actively at work in that person's life according to their words and their actions. And it's on the heels of that, that at the very end of that, in fact, if you're there, look back a verse with me to the last verse of chapter 5. He says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. That's not what a friend does, and it's not what a person does who's walking in the Spirit, bearing the fruit that the Spirit bears in that person's life. So where we are tonight, here in chapter number 6, picks up on that idea. Don't do this. Don't provoke one another. Don't be envious towards one another. Instead, be this kind a friend. Notice what he says. He says, brethren. He's talking to Christians. He's talking about Christians. He's talking about those of us who have Christian friends. How are we as believers to deal with other believers who are our friends and yet sometimes the road gets bumpy, doesn't it? Sometimes life can get a little bit messy. How are we supposed to deal with that? When we find ourselves on the wrong side of who we ought to be, maybe even on the wrong side of the kind of person that we even want to be. i tell you what, it's in times like that that you need a right, biblical, true friend. It's a necessity. Let's work our way through these first couple of verses. And I just simply want to share with you two truths tonight. The first one is this. Fallen friends are miserable. Fallen friends are miserable. Remember now, he's talking to Christians. He's talking to the brethren. I want to remind you that the most miserable person in the world is not the unbeliever who, who is so far removed from God. In fact, he's probably not miserable at all, as far as he knows. He, he is just content to live his life the way that he lives it, and the devil doesn't even mess with him. Why would he? But the believer, who is positionally right before God, who begins to walk outside of fellowship with God, that person becomes the most miserable. You remember Lot? We're told to remember Lot's wife, but I want you to remember Lot himself. He is Abraham's nephew. And even though God told Abram to leave his country and to leave his family, everybody in his family, and go to a land that he would show him later, Abram takes Lot with him. 
And things are fine just like they are in relationships that you have sometimes. They rock along just fine until suddenly you hit that point. And Abram and Lot hit that point. Both them and their servants. And they parted ways. Well, What we discover about Lot is he chooses a path that is very different from Abram. Very different from Abraham as he will become known. Lot finds himself in the city of Sodom finally. The Bible says sitting in the gates, which I take to mean that he's a part of their city council. I mean, he's, he's a decision maker now, even in the midst of that very pagan and very wicked place. That find, you find those stories in Genesis, but it's in the New Testament that Peter writes about Lot and helps us to discover who Lot is positionally and who Lot is practically. Listen to this verse. If you want to jot down the reference, it's in 2 Peter chapter 2. I want to read for you verses 7 and 8. He talks about God and it says, God delivered righteous Lot. What does that tell you about Lot? It tells you that he's saved, right? That he is positionally right before him. In fact, three times in these two verses, God is going to call Lot righteous. Righteous Lot, his righteous soul. You'll hear it more and more. But it says this. He delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. So yes, positionally, he is still right with God, but he's not living that way. He is is living in the midst of a wicked people and has found himself absorbed into their culture. Now, how does that make Lot feel? Listen to this part of the verse. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. His soul is tormented because he's not walking with God anymore. He's walking outside of that fellowship and he is surrounded now with a group of people who are not interested in what God wants to do. He is miserable. Now Lot didn't plan that any more than you have planned your times of backsliding either. He didn't wake up one day and decide that's who he wanted to be. Instead, what you find there in Genesis is he just simply makes choices that moves him further from God and yet closer and closer to the activities that are going on in Sodom. You know, he becomes so enamored with that culture that now you can't hardly believe what he has to say about his relationship with God. It's hard to even see him as righteous anymore. Do you remember this event in that story? God comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham says, God, please don't do that. God, what if, what if there's a hundred people there? And God says, well, if there's a hundred, if there's a hundred righteous people there, I, I, I will not destroy that place. Well, what if there are 50 What if there are 40? What if there are 30? What if there are 20? What if there are 10 righteous people there? God says, if there are 10 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, I won't destroy it. Why did Abraham stop at 10? 
Because when you begin to count up Lot and his family alone, that's ten people. Lot cannot even convince his closest relatives about what righteousness is all about. He is walking so far from the Lord that he can't even convince them. In fact, when he goes to them and says, God's about to destroy this place. Remember that his sons-in-law just simply laughed at him? The Bible says that he, they thought that he was kidding. We don't kid about those kinds of things, do we? There's a time when the miserable soul gets sobered up. And that's what happened a lot. The only problem is Lot had moved so far away from God that he just couldn't help himself anymore. He needs help. He needs help from the outside. You may not know this lady's name, but her name is Mrs. Fletcher. I bet you know, I bet you can have, as soon as I tell you where Mrs. Fletcher, where you know her from, you'll know exactly what she looks like and you'll know exactly what she says. It's a part of a commercial. And in this commercial that debuted, I think, in 1990 or something like that, there's a, there's a scene in the commercial, a bathroom scene. And a walker has turned over upside down, and there's Mrs. Fletcher, all, all twisted up inside of that walker. You know what she said? I've fallen, and I can't get up. I want to tell you something, that is the heart cry of the weak, weary, wandering Christian. I have fallen and I can't get up. Those believers need a friend, a friend who sticks closer than any brother. For Lot, it didn't happen overnight. For you, it doesn't happen overnight. And for your friends, it doesn't happen Overnight, I want to show you what this passage says. Look with me in verse number 1. There are in these two verses, by the way, two, two descriptions of the person who has fallen. The person who is walking outside of fellowship with God. The person who finds themselves miserable as Lot. He says, brethren... If a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. This first description found in this first verse, I would say this, we can be overtaken unexpectedly. We can be overtaken Unexpectedly, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, any trespass, any trespass will do. It doesn't have to be some big, massive sin. It could be something that's small. Something that simply crosses the line. That's what trespass means. To cross the line. But that word goes further. It describes the person who stumbles the person who's trying to cross the line, and it's the line itself that causes him to stumble and to trip and to fall. What you have is the picture of a person, in this case a believer, who is tempted, 
He didn't didn't go out looking for it. Instead, the Bible says, once he is aware of the temptation, he begins to run. And this temptation chases him and chases him and chases him until he is, as we see in our word right here, he is overtaken. He's not fast enough. He's not strong enough. The word that he uses for overtaken is a word that means to be caught by surprise or to be taken by surprise. The sin just snuck up on him. I mean, you hate to say it that way, but that's exactly what Paul is describing in this passage. It reminds me of what God said to Cain back in Genesis. He told Cain, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. There's sin that is lurking at your door, looking for the opportunity that it might overtake you, that it might make you slip up, if you will. We recognize this easily, don't we? We recognize it as a metaphor. We recognize it as a reality. We know what it feels like to be overtaken in that sin. So when that's you... And it's all of us. It can be all of us. When that's you, how does, how does that make you feel? Does it make you feel like a failure? Does it make you feel like the worst Christian who ever lived? Or maybe bring you even to the point of saying, I'm probably not even a Christian anymore. Sin is at the door. And it will torment your righteous soul every day given the opportunity. So this first description of what it means to be a fallen friend is found in that first verse by that word overtaken. But the second description is found in the second verse. And he says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It's that word burdens. It's a word that means a heaviness. An oppressive weight. It means to be pressed down on the weight is so heavy that it's literally pushing you down. Which means then that the temptation is either inducing sin in your own life or it's keeping you pinned down in your sin so that you can't get out of it. You get the picture of a person being bogged down. You know, this word for burdens is used for the weight that's placed on a pack animal. It's placed like on a mule or a donkey or a horse. Because the person who needs to transport it from one place to the other, it's too heavy for him. It's oppressively too heavy. It reminds me of the, of the old saying that sin always takes you farther than you wanted to go. Always costs you more than you wanted to pay and always keeps you longer than you plan to stay. Sin has a way of putting us in its grasp and then burdening us with it so that we can't get up. By the way, did you notice that the word for burden here is plural with an S? <clears throat> it's burdens, isn't it? It's like a wave after crashing wave after wave that keeps you down so that the weight of all that guilt is too much for a person to get out from under. And too many times they simply quit. 
These two pictures are wonderful illustrations that we're not meant to live the Christian life on our own. Your church family plays an important role in your life as a believer. You know, we talk about the one another passages, and this is one of them, bear one another's burdens. Well, there are 58 more. There are 59 of these one another passages in the New Testament. Almost 60 exhortations for us to be the kind of person that God has planned for us to be and reveals to us in His Word. So how do do we help? How How does somebody like little old me help somebody who has been overtaken or a person who has been overloaded? I don't think I even gave you that. We can be overloaded, understandably. That's what goes second. We want to thank you for joining us here on Brit David Podcast. Pastor Tim would love to connect and share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. That address is church office at BritDavid.org. We are located at 2801 West Brit David Road, Columbus, Georgia, 31909. Thanks again for joining us here on Brit David Podcast.